Hello and welcome to the ETC Coaches Corner, an inside look into the Midlands' best private training facility, where we'll be discussing all things from nutrition to training and everything in between. In this episode, it is another Meet the Team special. The last Meet the Team special got loads of views, loads of incredible feedback, and we're really pleased with, with how it went down. Today, I'm joined by everybody's handsomest coach, Mr. Coach Ali. Ali, good afternoon. Afternoon. Fantastic. How's your day been? It's been right so far, thanks. Good. Yeah. How about you? Good. Yeah. What have you been up to? Stuff. Stuff. Lovely. Cool. <laughs> I must edit the podcast there, I think. That's how yeah, everyone brilliant. wants to know. Cheers. Cool. So we're just going to talk a little bit about, you know, what Ali has kind of done in his, in his life. He's had some really exciting things that you might not expect so i'm excited to see what he comes out with <laughs> <laughs> and and just it's a really good opportunity for for everyone just to get to know the people that you see so often and get to know them on a, on a personal level instead of just uh, the person who always makes you lift heavier and work harder you're welcome <laughs> So Ali, we're going to start uh, generically. What did you have for breakfast? I had apricot wheat and a coffee. Yeah. Apricot wheat? Apricot wheat, yeah. What, are you a child? Yeah, I am. I'm, I'm a 12-year-old. <laughs> it was that or um, multigrain dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> What's a multigrain dinosaur? In They're time? like Cheerios, but dinosaur-shaped. Sounds pretty cool. Mia loves them. <laughs> Tim loves them. Tim loves them. They're great. Nice. Cool. So just talk to us a little bit about... A little bit about your upbringing. Like, where did you grow up, and what was? This sounds very like. What was your, what was your childhood like? <laughs> but just talk to us a little bit. Don't to start too young, but where, like, where did you grow up, and yeah, and what what kind of stuff did you go up to? Sure. I mean, uh, without well, I mean, starting young, I was born and raised for the first three years of my life in India. Um, oh yeah! <laughs> so, what a great start. What a Ali's start. Indian. <laughs> He's actually Indian. He's more Indian than everyone we've got here. Well, yeah, no. I mean, both my parents are white British. Um, they met in a missionary school out in India. Uh, my dad was out on his gap year after uni. Uh, so I didn't, what's a missionary school? It's a Christian-run school. So they, normally from England, they'd send missionary people out to work in other countries to right. teach and spread the word of Jesus or spread the word of God. Um, but they're normally like a charitable organization. So it's mm. a, it was a charity-run boarding school, essentially. Okay. Is how I understand it. So my dad came out on his gap year after uni on a round-the-world ticket. First stop was India. <laughs> Stayed there for a few months, fell in love with my mum. Uh, and your mum your mom was also in India separately? Separately. Okay. Um, working out there. So she was, she was running a boarding house at that time and teaching art. My dad came out to sort of just be a gap year student and help out and teach geography. Fell in love with my mum. Sold his round-the-world ticket to buy her a ring. Dead romantic. Oh, that and is then, dead sweet. Yeah. <laughs> and then they... Go Mr. and Mrs. Last. Yeah. Shout out to mum and dad. <laughs> um, and then they they um, remained out in India. They had my sister and me. So they had me first, then my sister. My other sister was made in India, but born in Maystone. So I've got two younger sisters as well. Um, so yeah. I'm, <laughs> made in India. <laughs> made in India. <laughs> like but, most of our clothing. Yeah. But born in Maystone, and I love to rub it in, so I thought I'd put it in here as well. Okay. Um, so yeah, first three years of my life, I, I lived out in India. Uh, obviously, don't remember a, a huge amount, but we've since been out. I've kind of lived in schools my whole life, up until my later years. So I, I, my parents moved to back home 
got a job at a, a private boarding school down in Hampshire. And I grew up there until I was about 13 when we moved up, up this way, up into the Midlands. So if your parents work at a school, you have to go to that school? So I didn't go to that school. I did end up going to that school for one year. I was at a primary school, local tiny village primary school. Hmm. And then... In Hampshire? I, in Hampshire, yeah. in a lovely little village called Long Sutton. So I was there and then I went to the school that they were working at, Lord's Wandsworth College. Dead posh. Really cool. Johnny Wilkinson School. So oh, really? I, I used to watch Johnny Wilkinson kick rugby balls from outside my house. That's why you're so well-spoken. <laughs> yeah, you're so I've kind of school. grown up in private schools my whole life. Oh, wow. And then moved up to Buckinghamshire with mum and dad. Dad got a job in Stowe, Stowe School, and then lived there until, well, I mean, my parents were there until I started working there myself at 21. And your mum was a teacher as well? Yeah, yeah. So both your parents are teachers? Both my parents are teachers. What do you think... The main, obviously, like the money side. What do you think is like a big, the main difference between a private school and a public school? More for my interest than anything else. The, well, from, from a, looking at it from an education standpoint, there's a lot more freedom in the private sector in terms of they have the budget to do a lot more mm. um, compared to like the, the public schools around. Do they still have to use the same curriculum? They have to follow the same curriculum in terms of like English, maths, science. Yeah, but use like, a, like AQA and so they, they, all the same governing bodies. Yeah, all those are, are still used, but right. outside of that, there's a lot more freedom and they've got a bigger budget to provide much, not necessarily better facilities, but much more facilities for things. Mm. And they don't need, I guess they don't need to cram 35 students in a classroom to make ends meet. No, yeah, they're a lot get more paid for, in, in the public sector, you get that you get funded by the government based on how many qualifications you submit yeah. and how many people you get through the system. Yeah. And when there's so many cuts and not enough money, you need more people per classroom to get more revenue back from each yeah. person. That's why it's tight. So in private, you have less. Yeah. Arguably, and I don't know this, like a, a better opportunity and more education because you get more attention. Yeah. Kind of what we do, isn't it? Like a smaller Similar. Group. It's it's like small group PT in, in the terms of like... I think the biggest class I ever had at Stowe was 20 kids. Wow. And that was considered a big class. Really? Um, it's slightly bigger now. They have taken a few more people on. But the smaller classes, slightly higher standards in teaching in certain aspects for sure. Uh, I think people get drawn to the, to the, the, pub, the private sector mm. because it's better pay. You get better holidays. There's better perks, especially in boarding schools. Mm. Um, but there are trade-offs as well. It's, it's a cool place to work. What was it like working at Stowe? Hard. <laughs> it was hard work. So I, I, I went into Stowe at 22. Hmm. Didn't have any teaching qualifications. You don't need a teaching qualification for the private sector. Hmm. I had a, a loose link to uh, religion. So I, I was hired as a, a teaching assistant who also kind of taught um, philosophy and religion, RE. Hmm. I did that. I was also then involved in a boarding house. So I was responsible for 13 lads. 13 Lessons. young men um, <laughs> and then progress from there it was it was tough like by the end of my time at Stowe I was doing sort of 100 plus hour weeks Jesus and living in the boarding house so 65 teenage boys living around me who all knew where I lived so if anything went wrong I was normally the first person mm. that knew 
And would they like get up to like things that you would imagine boys to get up to? Yeah, all the all, all the usual stupid stuff. The amount of times like we've walked in and they've been like doing flamethrowers with deodorant cans in a <laughs> in a thirties mansion that's mostly wood, and you're like, you really can't do that, lad. Yeah. Um, dorm raids happened a lot. Dorm raids. So uh, everyone was li- everyone lived in dorms. Yeah. So the dorms would raid each other. So we had, okay. in the bit that I looked after, there were two fourth form dorms, so year 10. There was sixth form above us, and then year, um, fifth form, so year 11, year 12. Hmm. All kind of in the same floor, and they would just raid each other. <laughs> and you just hear, you'd hear like the thudding of feet, and then you just hear, <laughs> and you just step out the door and there'd be 30 lads in their boxes smashing each other in the heads with pillows. So yeah, it was, it was nice. tough, but fun at times. So instead of managing lads, you now essentially work with with other humans, yeah, who are a little bit older, only a little bit, only older. a little bit. So what what do you think was the catalyst for you to transition from teaching into personal training into coaching? Was there anything that you think allowed that transition to happen, or what sparked that transition? Because it sounded like you had a job set for life. You could have stayed at Stowe, you could have worked your way up, mm. you could have continued in your dad's footsteps, and that could have been a, a, a path already laid out for you so what made you change i've always been into sport in some aspect of my life i was never particularly good at any sports i quite enjoyed training in the gym so when i was at stowe i had the freedom to go into the gym and train whenever i wanted what would you say your if you had a sport you said you weren't you know particularly good at any sport but into sports like was there anything that you liked to play or what was the sport your I, go-to sport i or? used to play rugby yeah i got damaged from rugby mm. um so i wear glasses because i got stamped in the head and that changed stuff and my shoulders got wrecked from rugby so <laughs> we're laughing but that's actually quite horrible it's horrendous isn't it it's like, but... oh, you got stamped <laughs> oh. uh, <whoops>. oh. <laughs> <laughs> um so rugby was my thing and then i guess i kind of got into the gym from that because the whole culture around like mm. rugby and gym kind of go hand in hand mm-hmm. Um, so I, I kind of always was in the gym. Obviously, sixteen-year-old lad. It was chest, biceps, and triceps, and that was all I did. Same as a twenty-nine-year-old lad. Same as yeah, same as me <laughs> at twenty-nine. Yeah. Um, I guess the switch that made me think I don't want to do what I'm doing anymore was kind of it was a health-related issue, and I think a lot of people probably experience that. They have that like health scare. Hmm. So I I um, I essentially ignored a chest infection for about three months Mm. um and it turned into pleurisy which is um an infection of the lung so the the Mm. the lining of your lung was basically they did an x-ray and my my whole lung was white with infection i thought i was having a heart attack like i rang 111 and they were like you need to go to any now so the the membrane of the lung basically just thickened so you can't breathe uh it was like inflamed yeah yeah and, and covered in just infection and pus. I, I basically just ignored it ignored it for three months because I was working and doing 100-hour weeks and it was just like, I can't afford to stop. Mm. So I just worked and worked and worked and worked to the point where I woke up one morning, had severe chest pains, tried to go to teach my class and realised I could barely like walk down the stairs. Mm. I was like, something's really not right. Went to hospital, got checked over. Um, and that was kind of like the moment. I was like, wow, I'm 24 I, I'm, I've worked myself to a point where I now can't work and I had to take three weeks leave mm. um, and was on really heavy antibiotics and mm. was like 90 kilos. Oh, wow. Um, so I was with this really unhealthy 24-year-old mm. or 22-year-old, 20, something like that. And mm-hmm. I was just like, this has to change. Mm. Started doing PT qual, um, 
and then kind of started looking for jobs out of teaching. Mm. So yeah, massive healthcare. Would you say would you say going through that healthcare was one of the most difficult parts of kind of your early twenties or any other difficulties that you kind of overcome that's kind of made you who you are today? Yeah, um no, the hardest thing I ever had to do was overcome the death of a friend mm. um at twenty. Uh, she it was a, a girl that I had been dating and was kind of still involved with. Mm. Um she went to bed one night and never woke up. Just out oh, of the blue wow. died. Um and that was brutal and I really really struggled with that for a long time like it was it happened when I was at uni mm. so I kind of turned to the usual mm. like I drank I did some questionable things mm. I had some not so great relationships with other people mm. um, and getting over that was probably the, the hardest thing I had to do at a, as a as a as an adult I'm doing the air quotes yeah, yeah as an adult that was the hardest thing I ever had to do and the only way I got out was my parents got me into counseling mm. um, at 21 Mm. so like two years afterwards what would you say to somebody who I guess well, I guess I'm much better at, at using the term counselling mm. and I guess a counsellor is there to help you explore your own thoughts that you can't get to yourself yeah. that you just it's how we deal with things right we just go this is happening I don't know how to deal with it because there's so much more emotion and you go off and just do what you think you need to do to help you get over the process which actually in turn makes you loads worse what would you say to someone who has kind of been through something pretty horrible? Like, would you, I'm guessing you would say that counselling was a way that everyone should do and something that you has definitely helped you. And the kind of follow-up question for that is, how did the counselling allow you to move on and become the person that you are? Uh, I think it just helped me, well, first of all, it helped me process my grief. Um because I'd not, I'd, up until that point, I'd not experienced death. I was really lucky to have mm. both my grandparents, both my parents, and no one had really passed away in, in my life up mm. until that point. So it helped me process my grief and understand how I processed that. Mm. And then from there, it helped me kind of work out how I then process stuff moving forward and understanding that like that grief will never go. It will always be there. And I'm, I'm aware of when it hits me. So there's, there's dates in the diary where like I, like I, I have them say kind of like where when Sally's birthday was and when Sally died, they're kind of things that I have written down mm. partly so I can remember myself, but also mm. when I start feeling certain ways, I can look and be like, oh, it's the week that Sally died. Mm. Of course I feel like this. And mm. it, I, normally it's just like I recognize that I normally have a little bit of a lower mood and I can mm. address that and be like, cool, you're feeling this way because of this. It's a personal journey that I think everyone that has experienced any kind of trauma like that or any trauma really mm. should see a counsellor. I think everyone should have a counsellor anyway. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> like they need to, I th and it just helps you understand how you process stuff. And it's made me a much more considerate person because mm. it's made me realise like everyone's going through something horrible mm. or has gone through something horrible and that, like just respecting how people deal with it. And giving giving people the opportunity to have some space, but mm. also acknowledging that, like, what I find really interesting about people and someone that I work quite hard on myself is like, it's okay to feel emotion. Yeah. Like, if someone's like sad, it's like, oh, don't be sad, or oh, you should cheer up, don't cry, don't this. And it's like, 
actually by you taking the responsibility and saying, I'm feeling a bit low. Oh, I understand why I feel unhappy, more anxious, disheartened, upset, distraught, and being able to acknowledge it and saying, oh, that's why. And that's okay. Mm. Like, it's okay for me to feel how I feel. It's kind of what being alive is about. Yeah. It's not about just feeling happy all the time or just feeling just... I guess in like in, in purgatory of just like nothing is really good or bad. It's just yeah. it, it just exists. But being able to acknowledge that you're sad or you're tired or, or anything is something that I really think and want people to be able to demonstrate. Mm. Like oh, like we say this all the time. Like I know it's you know arbitrary in comparison, but like working in the gym, oh, this, this is going to be hard. And that's okay. It's okay for you to find this hard. Yeah. And people are like, oh, no, but it's difficult. I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's okay. It's, it's okay for it to be hard. But what does hard feel like? It means that you don't want to do it anymore and you're out of breath and you're a bit sweaty and you want to give up on your last set. Mm. But actually acknowledging that it's okay for it to be hard. It's okay to feel sad. It's okay to feel happy and understanding. I think, And I think the most powerful part in all of this is understanding where that feeling comes from or where, where that thought comes from that leads to the emotion without just going i feel sad and i don't know why mm. but that's obviously a much more clinical diagnosis that yeah. we're not we're not going to no, let's not go there yeah <laughs> we're not, we don't, don't need to touch on but just having natural emotion of being sad and being happy we don't always necessarily have to do something it's okay just to sit with and acknowledge and then go i i Accept get it. it yeah yeah before we move on and you don't have to answer this question if you don't want to like do you know did you find out like what happened to Sally? Uh, it was put down to um, what's called sudden adult death syndrome. So it's essentially um, cot death. So mm. sometimes babies will just die mm. um, in their sleep and they don't really know why. There's a lot of research going into it. So it's it essentially that really? carried into adulthood. So she was a, she was a, a healthy yeah. young woman who went to bed and never woke up. And no one knows why it happens. They, they, the charity that I kind of worked with down the line a few years later when I did a charity event mm. cardiac risk in the young they mm. now do screening so they screen you to check for any heart defects just as a thing it's something mm. that they do and is it would a heart defect be something that they would flag up and say oh, this this could happen or, it, or they still don't know they still don't know why you die in your sleep or why someone suddenly drops that like the footballers mm. they don't really know mm. why certain footballers have or people do, I thought sport. that was related to cardio sometimes respiratory disorders like, sometimes I don't know so it, it's one of those things like we had it happened a couple of years later to a, a lad playing football who just dropped dead he mm. had no known underlying heart heart issues or anything like that mm. so it's it, it's still something that we don't fully understand and they're trying to find out why so they screen young people's hearts to look for well are there any are there any defects? Are there any things that are, are different here or there or whatever to see if they can help understand it? But no, we ne we never really knew why she just was taken, and that was kind of that. And as as awful as it is, I think a lot of members can be testament to this. Is that you probably are one of the most empathetic coaches. I don't think any of the coaching team, and I certainly didn't know that story, but we always kind of jokingly got Ali's the most empathetic coach he's the one who understands a lot and all and all that kind of thing and that kind of all ties in and I guess mm. her legacy lives on within you as a behavior change that sparked and being a, 
a prominent development development in your character and who you are as a person. Yeah, which is pretty cool. Yeah, it, it? it is cool, and I, it's something that my family have noticed too. Yeah. So it's yeah. I feel like the next question is really like off topic. <laughs> Come on, let's, let's go. Ali, what's your favourite curry? <laughs> <laughs> that was my next question. I, I, didn't, I didn't think we were going to go. I think I didn't think we were going to go there. Yeah, so that went deep. Like, Sorry. Yeah. You're Indian. Yeah, you love curry. <laughs> you do love curry, don't you? I love curry. Is it your favourite cuisine? We've brought up the food a little bit. But what is it? Is it your favourite cuisine? It's that or pizza, I think. Pizza is pizza great. Is Great. Good, great pizza is great. Yeah. It's so great. Um, Said great three times. It's great. Right. It is the best. Uh, <laughs> curries, uh, so it has to be the right curry for it to be my favourite. Okay. What's your, what's the right curry? Uh, this is or sound, Indian clients going to be like, it's going to sound really sad, good. It's, it's what my mum learned to cook in India. That's the best. So That's the what best curry is. Sabrina, they all say it's all like the the, the, the passed down generational yeah. curries. Yeah. That only grandma knows how to make it. Yeah. Okay. So uh, it, it's not a curry that you'd order at a takeaway. It, okay. It's just, I don't even, I don't even know what you'd call it. It's just curry. And my mum's curry. Mum's curry. And it is always the best. Um, you know what I think? I don't think your mum's curry would be any good. You hear that, Debs? <laughs> I, uh, I actually don't think it would be any good um, but yeah. I guess the proof is in the pudding mm. in the right Debs yeah. <laughs> but it's between that and another Indian dish that I love which doesn't really exist in this country I've only ever found one place that does it it's called idli which is essentially it's fermented rice in like little circular donuts that are steamed and you eat them with something called samba which is like a spicy soup and you eat that as a thing and it, oh mate it's, it's great it's so good so what would you say your mum's curry is is it like my curry knowledge isn't very big like <laughs> Dansak-esque so like dry or is it more like masala it's, or really spicy or it's Deb's going to be sh- listening to this while <laughs> shouting it's this Ali <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it's it's a tom- it's normally a tomato base so it's probably closer to like a masala hmm. tikka masala kind of thing but the best thing about my mum's curries is that they're made with the stuff that we have. So it's never like, it has mm. to be this recipe. Got it. it follows the basics. like there's stir fry, but for Indians. But like sexy, yeah. So it's like, the, the spices are probably similar. It might be chicken, it might be turkey, it might be beef, it might be veg, it might be whatever. Mm. But the way it's done and the way my mum does it is something that she learned from um, my ayah my, I had a like a carer out there she taught my mum an ayah an no. ayah like no. a nanny okay so she kind of taught mum how to cook some of the Indian stuff and a lot that's of the people so cool. in Hebron taught her as well so yeah it was really cool so the, that's probably my favourite is what my mum cooks because it's authentic and it's proper Indian food so when you go home will, they make, will your mum make you a, like a curry my, my request did you have a curry over the weekend no you? I didn't I didn't have a curry over the weekend oh, uh, damn it devs but it's, it's in the making I've been Learn some hints. Um, this is a big whopping hint, Dev. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, that's like our go-to. Like curry in our family is a big thing, and if we do a curry, it's like the big thing. Proper, like, proper curry, and we'll get all the breads. Mum will make like rotis and all sorts. Oh my, that sounds so good. Just banging, and I'll, I just eat until I'm family family meal at Ali's for curry. Yeah, man. Oh, We've got the space now, so. Oh, in the new, not, the new not that I'm inviting you. <laughs> yeah. We've got the space now. You can come. Yeah, and, there's and, space. Sick. So you've been coaching at ETC. Actually, you know what came up on my time? What has been a uh, two-year, 
to your coaching movie the other day. Oh, it was like maybe yesterday. Oh, nice. And we, uh, and Let's it was also see. at the time where I photoshopped It's Coming Home with the income players and put everyone's face on the top. So yeah. It's coming home. Yeah, it's nice. Cool. Yeah, man. So it's been your two-year kind of, I guess, anniversary with us and it's been amazing to to watch you grow and develop personally and professionally as a coach. It's come on so, so, so much to the point where you're now a senior coach within ETC, so you are the person who's going to be leading the standards of, of coaching and, and, and getting involved with all kinds of cool projects that we have, which is yeah. really great. Now, your latest project is something that you have been studying for a long time and you've mm. you know qualified. That's really interesting. It's the pre and postnatal specialism. Yeah, which is just talk to us a little bit, really briefly. Like what what is pre and postnatal specialism? What does that mean? And then finally. What made you choose going into that? I mean, you could talk about anything. Yeah. Why? Why? So, what? It, what kind of is it? And what made you think this is something that I really want to learn about? Sure. Um, what? So, pre and post network coaching is what it says on the tin. Essentially, it's working with women leading up to pregnancy, then coaching them through pregnancy up until childbirth, and then looking at the return to exercise once they've had their child. So it's like the, the grand scheme of it is you, you take a, a woman at whatever age, they, they fall pregnant, you then modify their training so that they're able to continue training mm. pretty much to full term for, for most women. Mm. Um, we've been really lucky with the, the ladies we've had come through, they've pretty much all been able to train to mm. pr- like literally full term. Mm. Then they go away, they have their baby, they're there un- then under the medical health team mm. for how long they need to be. And then post sort of the six weeks check, mm. then I can start getting re-involved a little bit more, looking at what the return to exercise looks like. It's mm. just that holistic cover of like from no baby to baby, mm. or from no baby to pregnancy and beyond. Mm. And like having not just like a strong mom, like strong parents, and training through pregnancy is really important. Mm. And I remember, and it, the whole the whole education around it and because of people like you is is changing. And I remember there's a, the most controversial pick. We uploaded a, a picture maybe five or six years ago. It was a, one of the ladies who currently trains with us now and she was pregnant and she was deadlifting. And this picture literally got, what the oh, hell, it's ridiculous. And she shouldn't be lifting weights. And she was lifting like 30 kilos, 40 kilos, yeah. which is fine because we've been training her for ages and mm. she can lift way more than that. Yeah. And it caused so much like stir. We almost we didn't take it down, but I thought about taking Good. it down. Yeah. But now it's like it's like praise. It's it's in it's an our sphere. It's kind of praise, and it's yeah. a good thing because we've got loads of ladies, or have had loads of ladies in the last year that you've coached through their pregnancy, and they like fortunately they feel good, so then they're able to train. They look amazing. They've had babies really well. They've come back, and it's like wow, this is like mm. pretty amazing. But what is it? Obviously, I've just kind of answered a lot of the, the question <laughs> because it is, it is a really interesting topic. But yeah. what, as a you know, as a twenty six, twenty seven year old bloke, when you wanted to specialize and, and start beginning your journey and becoming an expert in this field, what is it about that that interests you and probably not many other blokes? It's kind of a female dominated yeah. industry, yeah. isn't it? Really? I think part of it was because it is so female dominated mm. as a because it it's a female specific thing. Mm. Um, without getting too political, it's a female specific thing. Mm. Um, and as a coach, generally coaches are male. 
like the, the the female coaching side is is building up and there are more credible female coaches but when i yeah, was starting out it not was all. male dominated and it is and it oh, there's a really interesting stat i was looking at and it was something like like you, it's really hard to find a high quality female coach it's like oh you can't say that so like, no but here's the fact mm. so you get 100 coaches 90 of them are going to be blokes blokes mm. 90 percent of them and out of those 90 blokes five of them are going to be exceptional 70 of them are going to be all right and then 10 of them are going to be absolutely rubbish mm. or i don't know the exact yeah the exact kind of breakdown so then you've only got a data pool of 10 females out of 10 females one of them will be exceptional seven or eight of them will be all right and one or two of them will be rubbish mm. so if you get an application and you get 50 applicants the probability of you getting a really exceptional female coach is really hard not anything to do with gender or sex no literally down to the amount of people who are doing the thing that allows them to have the opportunity to go forward and that you're right there's so many more incredible female coaches like we have a couple of them we've got we've got we've got we've got we've got got some of the best but it's really interesting that you would say that when it comes to the coaching side of it and i guess then when it comes to your kind of qualification and specialism it is like oh we need to hire a male pre and postnatal specialist it's like Mm. oh there isn't really Mm. anyone and you're doing it yeah it's pretty interesting yeah so i guess part of it was that another part of it was i've been raised by strong female Mm. figures my mom's a very strong female figure and is quite outspoken i was raised around a lot of girls for Mm. a long time like we've got two sisters are your sisters older or younger younger they're both younger than me okay not by much but they're younger and Mm. then i've got and my mom and dad worked in a girls boarding house for a long time so i've been around girls a lot which is not a flex but like i I kind of i've grown up understanding women yeah i'm i would say i'm pretty much unflappable when it comes to that kind of stuff which is which is really important which is really a lot of a lot of women are gonna feel flapped (laughs) they're gonna feel they're gonna feel they're going through pregnancy right they may not know what to expect yeah they're gonna feel uncomfortable talking about it to anyone Mm -hmm. and if they're able to get somebody who's able to articulate calmness and something that you instill in people like being calm and understanding and empathetic yeah whilst also understanding the technicalities and the science behind what's going on it's gonna really put you in as well as understanding people it's gonna put you in a really really strong position to impact people's lives positively and help the whole experience of pregnancy which can be horrendous yeah can also be amazing but can also be horrendous and make that process as easy and as comfortable as as possible which i guess is a pretty cool thing to do it's kind of why we all become coaches right because we want to positively impact people's lives and and it's probably one of the few occupations where you can have a a direct impact on somebody's well-being and life more than a doctor Mm. or I'm not, obviously doctors are absolutely amazing by the way I'm not saying <laughs> I, I initially tend to be like you're more important than a doctor it's like no I kind of not but you are it, you, we see people are able to form relationships and we work with people that we who want to work with us so they mm. can help them on their journey because the doctors are don't necessarily have as much time as what we do yeah. and the amount of connections that we have with people to help them on their journey pick up doctors I love you by the way but <laughs> it's yeah it's a different relationship but and, yeah and it was kind of from that that it stemmed and i kind of saw this niche mm. where it was like well there's n- no one's really talking about it when i started no one was really talking about it in mm. this the sphere of fitness in quite the way that it needed to be talked about mm-hmm. um i found girls gone strong kind of almost by happy accident 
it just uh, it happened to be there. So I was like, cool, these guys are really credible. They had loads of information, loads of science-backed information. Their course looked really cool. Mm. So I started off and just did a few of their like free courses, which they just put out. I was like, oh, I actually really like this. And it works in my brain of like how training works. And it made me kind of understand training females. And I was like, well, it makes sense that I should be able to train women mm. because 80% of my client base is women at the moment and hasn't changed a huge amount of coming to ETC. Hmm. So I was like, cool, I need to know how this works. Really, I should understand it. So hmm. I thought I did the qualification and whilst I was kind of doing the qualification, my wife fell pregnant and she had horrendous time. Hmm. And I realized that there's, there's so little support and understanding around all of that. Hmm. Like, bless her, she, she got PGP um, quite early on in the pregnancy. So her, pelvic girdle was started to like separate early mm -hmm. so she could barely walk she was on crutches for a good three months mm. like we could barely i could barely go up the stairs without having to help her mm. um so she had no support around that she had quite a tough birth and the recovery after that there wasn't really any support obviously it wasn't helped that we were in covid mm. so it was kind yeah. of like all these all these compounding factors and it made me realize there's this huge gap between you fall pregnant the doctors look after you and they do their, their amazing jobs. The doctors and midwives and the health visitors are great. But from, from but, what I understand, correct me if I'm wrong, as with most medical professionals, doctors, etc., they're there to make you from terrible to normal yeah. and not from normal to actually feeling good. Yeah. So cool, we can give you these drugs, we can get this for you, we can stop you from being in horrendous pain. There's some crutches. They can give you something to, to aid whatever negative things are going on to move you up the scale to feel not terrible or as close to normal as you as can get as close to normal as you can get yeah. but actually where's the gap between actually feeling normal and performing and by performing I mean being strong yeah. like feeling good about yourself and doing the things that actually improves their lifestyle and health and yeah. it, this is where it's so complicated because you know we work with people who fall pregnant and are living their best life feel great mm. and some people in, in, in this situation where it can be really, really tough. Yeah. And you can't just go to the GP every day and be like, oh, this is happening. It's like there needs to be more education and support for those that aren't able to get it or aren't able to get an appointment at the GP now is like impossible. Oh, yeah. If you're in excruciating pain or whatever's going on whilst being pregnant, you aren't able to just have an appointment every week. Every you need day. to be able to have access to a, a professional such as yourself to go, here's what you can do to help you yeah emotionally and physically mm. to help them make it as easy as possible or as non-terrible as possible as well as having in some cases medical intervention as yeah. well so it's yeah. like a layered and more practical approach to help people through the through the journey yeah and i think that's the end goal is there needs to be that like holistic cover of like cool the doctors cover the stuff that i'm not qualified to do and there's mm. stuff that i don't understand but now i have to mm. defer but there's so much that I can do as a as a coach mm. outside of that. Like, cool, you might not be able to come into the gym, but here's four or five movements that you can just do that will make you feel better mm. and take some stress off you and just give you 10 minutes to chill out. Here's some stuff on food that you might not have realized or like, oh, you're really struggling with X, Y, and Z. Let's, let's talk about that. I've got that, that sort of area covered where it's like, cool, I can make you feel better without you having to see a doctor and I can give you stuff to help you when it comes to giving birth and when it comes to 
the other side of giving birth. Like there's there's all these things that women can just do at home. They don't need a lot that would make their pregnancy 10 times better just by having some basic movement structure and then knowing on the other side of the pregnancy, provided that there's no like serious medical interventions, that they can start their own recovery journey without needing anyone and just having someone maybe message them and be like, hey, have you, how are you walking? How's it feeling? <laughs> have you have you had some water today and like sometimes it's just that that they need mm. and that's where i can kind of step in and be that person and be like hey do a cat camel today just do a cat camel for five minutes and stretch your back out like i've noticed that oh you said that you've been breastfeeding and your shoulders are really hurting here's two movements that you can do that are just going to make you feel better mm. give the give the baby to dad and go and do these stretches like just he, he needs to pick up the slack right yeah <laughs> and of course you hear like horror stories of is that the, the 12 week check Six week. Six week check with a go. You alright? Sound. Mm. You sleeping? Baby alive? Sound. Alright, crack on, love. Yeah. So not only have you got like uh, uh, someone who's been through one of the hardest things that you can possibly go through, literally the hardest. Sleep deprived, like potentially had a really embarrassing, terrible time, and you've got an old male doctor who's like, alright, go on, love, you'll be alright. Mm. And as a as pe- people were, were were quite proud, especially when we're upset or suffering. So but like, no, everything's fine, everything's fine. But actually, in the inside, you are wetting yourself. Yeah. Uh, or so loads of other things, negative consequences of giving birth that can happen. Mm. It's like that, that, that check for you to get, quote, medical clearance, unquote, actually is not, we're nowhere near in depth enough for, it's, 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 it's saying like, oh, you're not dying. Great. Literally. But that, but that isn't good enough no. it shouldn't be like are you in excruciating pain and but you're just about alive sound move next and that and that's no again this is no dig on doctors it, like it's some i've heard people who get really great six week checks and i've heard people who, who don't and there's just a distinct lack of understanding and time and funding for mm. this to spend like you'll spend like an hour or 90 minutes doing these checks checking out can they actually contract that cord do they have any diastasis recti do they yeah are they okay from a anatomical perspective and an emotional perspective as well. <laughs> There's so much that because if someone's not sleeping and dying, the last thing you want to do is beating them in the gym. Yeah, because <laughs> you need to be like, cool. Just you're just going to sit for half an hour and just rest, mm, and which would probably be the best thing, right? Yeah, and th- th- I think that's it, isn't it? Like the doctors do what they can within the constraints of what they have. Yeah, um, and that's what they can do, and that's fa- that's cool. There are other countries, other systems where they get so much more. And it's a shame that we can't have that, but we we are lucky enough that we are in a country where those specialisms still exist. So there's there's companies like the Mummy MOT mm. who literally do a Mummy MOT. So it's like, <laughs> cool, you're at the six week mark. Let's check everything. It's like 80, 80 quid, maybe 100 quid, something like that. And it is literally a full check that they can do. And then they can then be like, are you working with a PT? great, I'll get in contact with them or you can kind of mm. get them to contact you and be like, they've got X, Y, and Z. They haven't got a severe diastasis. It's one finger space. They're mm. able to contract fully. They've got no pelvic health issues or they might be like, they've got this pelvic health issue. They've got pelvic organ prolapse. These are the things you need to work on. Mm. Here's some exercises. And it, they're, they're fantastic. That's really cool. I didn't know yeah. they existed. Yeah, the Mummy MOT is <laughs> amazing. That's a great idea. Yeah, they're incredible. And we're lucky enough to have pelvic health physios linked with Move4. Mm. But outside of that, Mummy MOT is this national company. 
So there's special specialist people that are dotted around the country that will come to your house and do a check, or you can go to them. And mm. they're incredible. Like Sophie had one done and it was probably the best thing to happen mm. for her because she needed that check because of everything that had happened for her pregnancy. Mm-hmm. It was like, you need to have this check. Because COVID time, it was a phone call and the health visitor came around and weighed the baby and then left. And that was it. Mm. It was like, how are you? And she was like, yeah, well, I'm sore. And I'm like, yeah, you, you had an episiotomy and you've had a baby. I'm sore, I'm tired. And I'm like, yep. Have a nice day. Okay, okay bye. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember she came to me like sobbing. And at yeah. that time, it, like we were both shattered. So we yeah. both just kind of hugged each other and the baby yeah. and cried. Yeah. And then I did some research and found the mummy MOT and... Well, I think Sophie probably found it actually because yeah. she was like, I just need to get it sorted. Yeah. But yeah, there's all these things that aren't seen that you have to be able to be aware of. And half yeah. of my course was that. Mm. It was like, hey, training needs to change now. Like mm. tr- first trimester, second trimester, third trimester, all the training looks completely different. Yeah. And potentially you might start with a woman who's like, I feel amazing. Mm. I feel like I can deadlift the world and mm. fight bears and then they hit trimester two and they can't, the hormones might change and they're like oh, okay still feel pretty good but I'm getting tired and then T3 they're just like I'm on the floor mm. I'm enormous I can't move I don't even want to like look at myself mm. I can barely function mm. like cool we can still do stuff and you've got to be really kind of reactive and flexible with who you have in front of you because yeah. it just changes so often even yeah. the people that we work with the small amount of people that we work with it's like the difference in them is vast and it might all all at different stages showing forms at different times mm. it's a minefield it's, it's crazy it's a baby field it's a baby field i think the thing that i've always thought about is meeting them where they're at mm. which is something i learned when i was a youth worker yeah so i learned that then and it's like meet the person where they're at not not you get them to where you are you go to them yeah and then bring them bring them up if you can and it's that's probably the most important thing you, you ask a pregnant woman how they are when they turn up and they might be like, I feel great. Or they might turn around and be like, I've slept two hours. I feel enormous and everything's itching. And you're like, cool, let's just go for a walk. Or like, yeah. you just chill. Yeah. Here's a drink and just yeah. stay there. Yeah, sick. Well, that's a really insightful, really insightful look into kind of why you sort of the way you are. And I think it's all kind of come together quite nicely in terms of your bringing what you've kind of been through as a person throughout your career and I'm really excited to see where we go with the pre and nail stuff and the mummy MOT stuff. I think it's a really, really fascinating and important area. And I just know that what we're the work that we're that we're currently doing here is going to keep getting better. And uh, if you ever, ladies and gents, whatever, if uh, you know if you do fall pregnant or feeling lost or don't quite know what you should be doing, then I couldn't. You know, recommend getting in touch with with Ali and, and getting some work in with him, and and just making sure that everything is is working or not working in the best possible possible way, and what you can do, because there's always something that you can mm. that you can do right to help your, your situation. Yeah, uh, Ali, thank you so much for for joining us. It's quite a long one today, but it's uh, really really been interesting and insightful. I look forward to hearing what everyone's got to say about it. But it's gonna be fun. Have a lovely remaining afternoon. You're coaching, aren't you? I am. Yeah. How exciting! Can't wait. How exciting! And uh, yeah, guys, I will see you all very soon. Have a lovely evening. Bum, chicka, bum, bum.